This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Hello, I'm Niall and welcome to the award-winning Football Social Daily, a podcast all about the English Premier League. And we are into the final stretch of the campaign, but Erling Haaland is in a sprint finish to reach the ridiculous tally of 40 Premier League goals for the season. The Manchester City striker breaking another record last night with just his 35th strike of the season in the top flight to return City to the summit. Liverpool were also victorious yesterday as they look to cement European football. Something Brighton, amazingly, can also achieve. They'll look to avenge FA Cup heartbreak against Manchester United tonight. Meanwhile, Sam Allardyce has been on the training ground at Leeds United for the first time, as well as giving his first press conference. When it comes to football knowledge, nobody knows more than me, says Big Sam. And this week, the Premier League have revealed just which three players from their 15-man shortlist have been bestowed the honour of becoming Hall of Famers. Just how close did we get with our class of 2023 predictions from only a month ago? Well, we will find out soon enough on today's episode of FSD because we're doing it all in the company of Joe Pasquale and Barry White. <laughs> We've got a hay fever hit, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. How you doing, boys? Oh, honestly, on, my, on behalf of myself and Marley, we are getting absolutely battered by the invisible enemy, which is pollen in the UK at the moment. <laughs> oh, my God. I woke up this morning and like Niall said, I thought I was a reincarnation of Barry White. This is me trying to raise my voice <laughs> right now. Have you got now. any Barry White in you? Can you give us a bit? Well, literally, they're FSD smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm not sure I want to ask you, Marley, whether you've got that in your locker. I have no Barry White in my locker, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> a bit offended by the Joe Pasquale thing, but we'll let it let it slide after all the things that have been said on this podcast over the, the three or four years we've been doing it. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let that one go. It's definitely not the worst thing that someone's called someone else. Most of the things I have to cut out in the edit. <laughs> I always find it funny with hay fever as well, because... You could be like the biggest, toughest guy on the planet. You could be Brock Lesnar or The Rock and a bit of invisible pollen can bring you down to your knees. It doesn't matter who you are. Oh, it'll, bring, it'll bring the biggest person down to the knees. The Greg Carly will be brought down to his knees and he'd still be <laughs> tall as hell, but he'd still be brought to his knees. Yeah, once May, in, once May and June's out the way, then summer really begins in my eyes. <laughs> Forget about the great Carly. What about the great Erling? The great Erling Haaland, who scored his 35th Premier League goal of the season. Last night, as Manchester City... Swept aside West Ham United 3-0. It was 0-0 at halftime. Nathan Ake's header got the ball rolling and then City added a second and a third. But the story this morning is not about City returning to the top of the league. It's about Erling Haaland becoming the record scorer in a Premier League season with that 35th goal. A perfect night all round, really, for Manchester City. They couldn't have asked for much more, Marley. Yeah, no business as, as usual, really. It was a bit tetchy when it was 0-0 at halftime. Um, I was surprised by that, that uh, the West Ham held out for that long um, but as soon as as soon as our first goal went in I think they scored two pretty much back to back didn't they so and then uh, Ford and wrapped it up at the end with, with Guardiola's thousandth goal as um, as Man City manager which is tells you everything you need to know about how they've been so far because it's just ridiculous but another, another day at the office really Do you know what also tells you everything you need to know and is also ridiculous is that because he scored 50 plus goals this season, Erling Haaland has scored 5% of those 1,000 goals. <laughs> and he's only been there nine tenths of a season. That's crazy. I wonder what the I wonder what the closest stat to that is, you know, in like terms of other teams. Like, I wonder what Salah's percentage of Klopp's goals is 
Must be a few. Yeah, it'd be high. I think I think they think Liverpool had seven hundred and ninety seven under Klopp and Salah's got something like a hundred and twenty for for Liverpool. That'd be the closest anyway, but it either way, he hasn't done it one season, has he? So this is the staggering stat that Yeah, that's the thing, the one season element of it. You know, where can Erling Haaland go? It feels like we speak about him every week because he's scoring hat-tricks after hat-tricks after hat-tricks and then a half-century of goals in all comps. Now we've seen him score the most goals in a single league season for any player since the Premier League began. How far can he take this, Joel? He's 22 years old. Gosh, I mean, I don't. I think this is just really unprecedented. I thought at the start of the season, around 25 max would be an unbelievable start to life in England. But to then break... A record which was probably never going to be broken, especially with the fact that Andy Cole and, and Alan Shearer were in seasons which play 42 games. And to then know that he still has four or five, I think five games to go, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? It's, I wanted to say Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo territory, but I wouldn't say that just yet because you have to do it again and again and again, times by 10, just to prove that you are someone who can hit those numbers consistently. But I mean, even in Dortmund, he was getting ridiculous numbers in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga. Um, So I'm going to say for now, this is almost like Kareem Benzema territory, which is that, you know, you have that incredible couple of seasons, but you have to do it consistently. Uh, But for a first season in England, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And to think that he could potentially hit, you know, 40 Premier League goals, and I think it's well within his realm of doing it especially considering he's got Leeds next um then it is is he could set a ridiculous record which he's never ever touched um and I think with the fact that he's playing in a Pep Guardiola side I think that's probably it's probably true because the day that Pep Guardiola leaves England I don't think we're going to see a team which creates so many chances and scores so many goals every single season like they have it just it's a machine and the most blessing of a team for a striker like Haaland because they create absolutely an infinity amount of chances. So for, for Haaland, I mean, the sky's the limit in terms of what he could achieve this season. I think the Ballon d'Or is always um, is almost a shout as well. I know Lionel Messi's won the World Cup and I know there's a lot of politics involved in the Ballon d'Or competition, but if he was to win the Champions League this season, I think he has to get it. Because he's he's breaking record after record, and to then take six to their first European title, I don't think any other player can even raise a flag to that. So he has a big month ahead of him. I think this is the biggest month to now prove, you know, because let's not get it twisted as well. He could score all those goals and still end up with nothing, which is also a possibility as well. So the the mark of a great season like this is getting silverware and, you know, he's well on his way to doing that. You mentioned Messi there, and this is slightly off track. Messi, it's been revealed, is going to be leaving PSG in the summer. Now, the obvious suggestion would be he's going back to Barcelona. Is there a possibility, do you think, Marley, that we could see Lionel Messi in the Premier League in the same team as Erling Haaland? Um... I I can't see it. I, I I'd love to see it, but I can't see it, and I I almost don't want to see it actually because I I was a big critic of of Messi going to PSG. I think it looks weird um, seeing him playing for anyone else other than Barcelona. Um, I hate that PSG are now hounding him for going to Saudi Arabia and then breaking 
these rules he wasn't allowed to go to Saudi Arabia for a, for a visit or whatever it is I hate the fact that the fans are, are now turning on him he's literally the greatest player of all time and your club's been around since 1985 70 is that what it is 70 alright so. my dad's older than PSG Messi's only a little bit younger Messi when was Messi born like 87 <laughs> or something like that it's madness so you know I have, I have some bloody respect it's just I hate it it's politics I, isn't it it's geopolitics yeah PSG is run by the Qataris they don't like the Saudi Arabians what's that got and to do so, with the French fans you know what I mean it's all it's almost brainwashing of oh well they're, they're Qatari so so are we like I'd hate I'd hate it if Newcastle fans did that as well and one of our players went to Qatar and you wouldn't see Jordy's in the street burning cars and all sorts of stuff, would you? It's it's bizarre, but um, yeah. Going back to your actual question, I've gone off on a little tangent there, but um, I would like to see it because I want to see the best players in the Premier League. But in an ideal world, Barcelona get the finances sorted out and they and they bring him home. Basically, I'm going to stick my neck on the chopping block here. I don't think Erling Haaland will break his own record next season. I don't think he'll score 35 goals next season. And I could be at risk of sounding like a total idiot, but to keep up those numbers consistently, it's one of those things that has to be seen to be believed. And if someone at the start of the season had said Erling Haaland's going to score 35, 40 goals, you'd have gone, yeah, he's a good player, but come on, let's keep it real. And until he does it again, there's no reason he can't do it again, by the way. I just don't think he will. And again, like I say, that's me sticking my neck out quite significantly here. With like uh, his, his numbers and stuff and the way City play, like City creates so many goals, uh, so many chances that you have to have a finisher at the end of it. I, I always wonder what Aguero could have done if he could have stayed fit for a full season. Because every year he had a some sort of little injury that kept him out for four, five, six weeks and a calf injury and a hamstring or whatever. But, I mean, he still scored. Did he, did where reach, was it 180-odd goals in the Premier League or something like that? Madness, like almost 200. Um, and he was injured for a lot of it. So, the way Man City plays, like, if you can stick a finisher on the end of that, like, it's it's just sort of par for the course of, if you've got a mad finisher up there, imagine, like, Andy Cole or Alan Shearer or, or Robbie Fowler in, in that team. They, they'd score similar amounts of goals. That's taken nothing away from Haaland, but... You know, that's that's how good they are. I think Aguero's a more natural finisher, and that's going to sound controversial to some. Haaland is just... I won't call Haaland a poacher, because I don't think that's fair, because I think he can score all types of goals. But then again, I say that. Haaland doesn't pick the ball up from 25 yards and rifle it into the bottom corner. That's just not his game. Whereas Sergio Aguero used to pick the ball up. I mean, do you remember that goal against Liverpool where he's basically yeah. out of yeah, play yeah. for a goal kick, and he somehow smashes it into the roof of the net? There's nothing to say Haaland couldn't do that, but I think Aguero, like you say, his finishing was yeah. elite, and you know, absolutely elite. Um, Haaland is just, I think his positioning is elite and his ability to sniff out a goal is elite and his hunger for goals is elite. I wouldn't say that Haaland was necessarily a better natural finisher than Aguero. Some people are going to be losing their minds over me saying yeah, this, but, but it's you, just you my to, opinion. You need to break it down as well. And I think I always come back to the thing where the the less physically gifted you are, the harder it is. It's harder to be a five foot eight striker than a six foot four striker because they can stand next to a centre back and win a header against them. Aguero can't. Aguero was always about his movement. Um and his sort of anticipation of where the ball's gonna be and his positioning. Because that's what got him goals. That's why he had to come deep because he couldn't stand and get bullied by defenders. And that's why he got so many injuries as well. He used to get booted because he would come deep and he was a bit smaller. <laughs> And he'd get hoofed. And because he was good as well. <laughs> yeah, people just get annoyed by this little Argentinian yeah. just dribbling around him. So it's you know, it's nothing nothing against Haaland. We're not turning this into a into a 
who was better, Aguero or Haaland thing. But it's just that that thing of when you put such an elite finisher in a in a, in a team that creates so many chances, you know, you, you score a thousand goals under a manager and and that kind of thing. But it's um it's staggering the stats he's he's put up and I think if he if he replicated this this season, if he gets if he ends this season on forty goals, it would take him six and a half years to beat Alan Shearer's Premier League record and he'd be twenty eight. Yeah, but it's just not going to happen. He's not going to score 40 goals every season. I'm going to stick you my neck know. on the line, which is bizarre. How weird is it? And this just shows how alien this man is as a striker that I'm having to sit here and kind of controversially say that he's not going to score 40 goals a season for the next five years. That is the levels that he has set in the Premier League that I'm having to sit here and say, which would have been ridiculous 12 months ago. I'm having to sit here and, go, and kind of defend myself against embarrassment because this man has just achieved so much. Yeah, but already. this is where you elevate yourself into an absolute elite status in football because when you looked at Ronaldo and Messi, whenever they dropped a 40 goal season, it was seen as a failure because they set their expectations of themselves so high. So even if Haaland got 29 goals, 28 goals in the Premier League next season, he's already elevated his stature as an absolutely elite player in the Premier League regardless. And just looking at Messi and Ronaldo's stats, I mean, the first time either of them registered a 50-goal season was in the 2010-2011 season, and they were both around 24-25 at the time. Haaland's only 22. So you can imagine in three years when his game's even more well-polished and he's even more physical because he's, in terms of his physicality, at 22, you're still not completely developed as a player. So it's pretty scary to think that in a couple of years' time, his game's going to be elevated, hopefully at Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, let's see. I, th I think I think next season he'll 100% be a similar season, I think. I think he's one of the real deal players. The same with Kylian Mbappe, where they just go on from strength to strength to strength every single season. We could spend the whole podcast talking about Erling Haaland, but... When you put it like you just put it, let's say he scores 28 goals, only 28 goals in the league next season. That means effectively, if you want to break it down a certain way, that he's only not scored in 10 matches in the 38 game season. Which is an incredible return. <laughs> Which is ridiculous when you think he about it. He could well have been injured for those as well. That, you know, it, it Genuinely, it's unbelievable. So congratulations, Erling Haaland. We're trying to bring a bit of balance to the Haaland debate, but I mean, what that man could achieve, I think, is is certainly limitless. He could definitely set his own records. Manchester City beat West Ham last night 3-0. West Ham did have players fall ill overnight for that game, including Declan Rice. I just wonder how big of a blow that might be with their upcoming fixtures. they got some tough games. Man United next in the Premier League. And then, of course, the Europa Conference League semi-finals over two legs. Or maybe D David Moyes just thought we're away at Manchester City. It's pretty much a write-off. Anyway, what certainly wasn't a write-off was Liverpool's game last night. 1-0, they scored through a Mo Salah penalty to beat Fulham. And that win now means they move up to fifth and they're fifth comfortably. The gap to Tottenham now is five points, Joel. Does that tell us more about Liverpool's season or Tottenham's season? that the gap is now that significant between fifth and sixth? Well, first and foremost, I don't think they need to focus on Tottenham. I think they need to focus on Brighton at the moment because they're the ones who look like they have a little bit more momentum. But in terms of your question, it's just an absolute shambles of a season for Tottenham. But also, I guess it just is it almost like it's a bit of a paradox because they both coincide with each other. It shows how weak the rest of the other teams were with the fact that Tottenham were able to sustain themselves in the top four, top five for such a long period of the season. But then it also shows with Liverpool, you know, Jurgen Klopp will be kicking himself at how quickly they they fell off in the early stages of the season, why, it's, why it happened and 
capitulated completely. I mean, they were languishing in around 8th and 7th place for a good portion of the season. And now all of a sudden, you know, they won all of the last six games. They're really generating a lot of momentum going into the final stages of the season. And they've still got the same squad. Nothing's really changed, obviously, apart from Gakpo in uh, January. But, I mean, in terms of their midfield, nothing's changed. In terms of their defence, nothing fundamentally's changed. Apart from the fact that, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold's starting to go a little bit more inside, which may be masking over their midfield issues, I think. But in terms of their season, you know, who knows? They might have been able to achieve a lot more had the... Uh, changed all these different factors up at, at the start of the season but in terms of both of their seasons it should be seen as a complete failure because let's not forget Liverpool were challenging Manchester City last season to around 90 points and they're short by a good 30 points already so of course it's a complete failure in terms of their season especially considering I remember at the start of before this season began, where we were comparing both of their sides and thinking, okay, is the Nunez versus Haaland season, who's going to be able to uh, fire their team to a Premier League title? And clearly, one has been far, far more outlier than the other. So in terms of Klopp, he'll know it's a complete failure in terms of that. In terms of Tottenham, um, it's the same old, isn't it? It's the same old season that we're, we've come to know from Tottenham at the moment identity crisis they have no leader taking them they don't know what the, they don't know who they are as a club Harry Kane will be evaluating everything this season in terms of what is the plan for the next five years why should I give my next five years of my prime to you as a club so yeah I think when you look at it now from the basis of the end of the season I'd be as a Liverpool fan a little bit more optimistic going into next season and I'd be as a Tottenham fan completely pessimistic and a little bit worried going into next season so yeah it's crazy because the fortunes have changed at the start maybe like three months ago you know you would have thought under Tottenham they had a good solid foundation ready to go and Liverpool looked completely shot in every area of the pitch but now the fortunes have turned and for Tottenham it looks like a long long way these next four games are going to feel like an absolute eternity because they could finish in eighth place well, Liverpool move up to fifth with that 1-0 victory over Fulham. Mo Salah finally finding his mark from 12 yards. A four-point gap between Liverpool and Manchester United in fourth, but Liverpool have played two games more. Jurgen Klopp said after the game that the top four remains unrealistic, and you can probably understand why he said that. But also, how frustrating must it be for the Liverpool fans that they've found form now and if they narrowly miss out on the top four just wonder what might have been if they had managed to turn it on in a couple of other games this season it might really come down to something as close as that just one or two draws that they've got that maybe they should have picked up victories in but that is why the Premier League is so exciting and there's more action tonight as Brighton who are looking to finish fifth themselves take on a Manchester United side who beat them in the FA Cup semi-final just 11 days ago we'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily Welcome back. This is FSD, your Premier League podcast from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe that way, you won't miss an episode from between now and the end of the season. Tonight, though, there's Premier League action at the Amex as Brighton welcome Manchester United. Only a few days on from that FA Cup semi-final where Brighton were heartbroken on penalties. The two sides meet again. I was looking at the stats heading into this one, Marley, and Manchester United have a poor record at the Amex Stadium. They've only played five Premier League games there. They've lost three of them. And that's the highest defeat rate of any Premier League stadium that Manchester United have played in more than once. So basically, 
they're not very good when they visit Brighton. Do you fancy that poor record to continue tonight or do you think Manchester United will just have too much? Uh, I hope so because uh, obviously I want Newcastle to finish in the in uh, in third and hopefully you know Brighton's probably one of the toughest games Man United have got left in terms of our own paper and stuff. So hope so. Um, but yeah, thinking about it logically, you know they've they've had a really tight, almost boring game in the uh, in the FA Cup, didn't they? Uh, where it ended nil nil and. They could have probably still be playing right now and it would have still been nil-nil. Um, obviously, Man United squeaked through on penalties to make the final. But, yeah, I think, wasn't it a couple of years ago when Brighton, did Brighton beat Man United 4-0? Uh, was it last season? Um, last season? Yeah, and just passed them off the pitch. Man United couldn't get the ball. It, it looked like, you know, the role reversal of what you expect from Man United versus what you what what they should be able to do against Brighton sort of thing. In 12 months, you've gone from a shambolic Manchester United to a much tougher to beat Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag. But that Brighton side was coached by Graham Potter and two of the goal scorers for Brighton that day were Mark Kukurea and Leandro Trossard, who have both moved on, obviously, to different clubs. And Graham Potter, we know what happened with him. And been replaced by better players. Well, maybe not Trossard, but, you know. And also a new coach as well in Deserby, who's got them playing in a different way. But he says, Marley, Deserby, that if Brighton are going to finish in Europe... They need to win all seven of their remaining Premier League fixtures. Do you agree? Do you agree with him, or do you just think he's trying to light the fire under his players a little bit? Uh, yeah, a bit of both because you know they've got three games in hand, and if they win all of them, they'll be on sixty-one points and, and in fifth. So, you know that'll get them into the Europa League. I don't fancy them to finish uh, in the top four, but I don't fancy them to finish outside the top seven, hundred percent. And and the eighth at this moment in time, two points behind Spurs, who are on fire as a club as in like bad like but bad on fire as in like a petrol fire is ripped through the club uh rather than the being you know in form bin fire bin fire <laughs> probably should, i always said bin fire i probably should have said that didn't I? but yeah it's um you look at their goal difference as well I and mean, brighton's is 21 spurs uh spurs is is six so that's basically another point in the bank for them so they should be finishing top six easy um but yeah they, they do have to push on now because I think when I think Brighton play at the best when you don't ex, you don't expect anything of them and you almost get surprised by how good they are but now coming into the season you're 31 games in and you're 8th in the league with games in hand on everyone above you you know nobody's looking at you going oh they're, they're not that good everyone's looking at you going Christ I hope they don't win those games and there's more pressure and it's a different sort of feel of, of what's going on at, at Brighton because everyone knows they can play and they're just seeing what can actually come of it. There's still, when you search Brighton on, on search engines or Twitter, it's just who's going to leave Brighton this season. It's, is McAllister going? Is um, uh, Caicedo going and all that? Where's Mitoma? Is Mitoma going to stay and stuff like that? Nevin Ferguson. But, you know, mm. that's why they kind of need Europe. I think McAllister will go anyway. But looking at, at what Brighton do, they'll replace him with another South American regen and be absolutely fine. Well, apparently James Milner could be on his way to the Amex Stadium after leaving Liverpool in the summer, which is looking likely. Roberto De Zerbi is allegedly aware of a couple of players that he knows he wants to bring in. But Brighton have been so savvy with making these signings. You just have to trust that they're going to get it right. From a Manchester United perspective, they've got injuries. So did Brighton. But Eric Ten Hag has spoken about Joel. Satisfaction. And what he means by that is that even though there are only a few games left, United can't be satisfied with the season they've had as it may lead to what he called laziness. 
Do you see his point? Because even though United are more than likely to finish in the top four and secure Champions League football, there's still some really big games coming up. Satisfied in terms of the way where we are, I think, yeah, is correct. But when you compare it to last season, it's a massive, massive achievement uh, on the back of the worst Premier League campaign the club's ever had under Rangnick to then be, you know, pretty solidified in that top four position. I think it just shows what a great job Ten Hag's actually done this season because the club was completely lost following the end of um, Rangnick leaving and it just felt like everything was just not in sync. Comparing to now where, you know, Marcus Rashford's got a completely new leash of life. I think he's the fourth top goal scorer in Europe this season, which is a complete world away from what was happening um, under Rangnick and now you're just seeing just so many players that are starting to bloom uh, but I think when you look at for example the only thing that makes me a little bit concerned tonight is the fact that United's away record against the top eight sides is very very poor I don't know what happens I don't know if it's the pressure or if it's just something changes I mean you just looked at the Tottenham game that we played um, at their stadium where we were 2-0 up and then all of a sudden gift them away back into the game to finish 2 all, and then you saw you know the awful game against Liverpool got beat by Newcastle Arsenal um, there's just so many games to name Manchester City where they just were never in the game at all and that's the one reason why especially after Brighton's I want to say stunning performance against Wolves where they put six past their Lopetegui side that was ridiculously stunning and the fact that we're going to have to go to their ground and like you say got a really poor record there it's going to be a very very tough game and especially you know with the fact that Liverpool are starting to gain a little bit of ground and Brighton could potentially gain ground considering they have two games in hand on United as well um, it's going to be quite a difficult ask to beat them at their, at their place because they are a team now you've almost become this you know you always get teams every season that take the mantle of I wouldn't want to play there FC what it used to be Everton back in the day then it turned into you know Stoke and then Sheffield but these this is a team who play ridiculously good football and you know deserve he's got all the praise he deserves for this season because he's literally taken the mantle the baton that Graham Potter gave him and it's taken it up another level Honestly, I, I feel like he's taken the club to a different stratosphere in terms of the way they play, the attractiveness. And the, I guess the only issue is retaining players, which is going to be difficult. But in terms of Manchester United's season, getting top four comparing to last season is, is a major achievement, I think, going into next season. You're right when it comes to Brighton's home form. Manchester United are not the only team to struggle there. The statistics suggest that Brighton are going to score tonight. United have failed to keep clean sheets against top half sides away from home this season. Brighton have only failed to score at the Amex once in their last 21 Premier League games. They've won five of their seven home games this calendar year so far, keeping a clean sheet in all of those victories. Basically, Brighton at the Amex is a really difficult game. Doesn't matter who you are in the Premier League. Another really difficult game and another really difficult place to go. Where's the cliche, Bell? the Etihad Stadium. And that's where Sam Allardyce takes his Leeds United side this weekend. The new Leeds boss, Big Sam, has been comparing himself to some interesting people this week in his first press conference <laughs> since becoming the Leeds manager. Take a look at this. Well, in the, in, the, in the highlights of this year, when they've had their troubles, they've always known where I am. But um, it, it's, it's never materialised until now, like you mean, so... Um, I think that uh, you know the football club chooses 
which way it wants to go. And people, far too many people think that that I am old and antiquated, which is no far, so far from the truth. I might be 68 and look old, but there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not, not Klopp, not Arteta. So it's all there with me. Um, and I share it with them. They, 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 they do what they do. I do what, do what I do, but in terms of knowledge and depth of knowledge, I'm up there with them. I'm not saying I'm better than them, but certainly as good as they are. I just wish that sometimes you can get the opportunity that, that you can you can show it, but uh, that's never going to happen for me now, apart from keep Leeds up, and if I stayed at Leeds, this club was big enough to build a team that was going to challenge those boys eventually um, but that's a long story away 90 seconds there of Big Sam from his first press conference as Leeds United manager comparing himself to Pep Guardiola Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta in your first meeting with the media is a pretty brave thing to do what do you think of that Marley is he trying to stick up for himself because of all of the criticism he's taken he says I might look old and antiquated but there's nobody ahead of me do you know what I understand? I, I get what he's, I get where he's coming from because he's always had a point. He's always had a bee in his bonnet um, throughout his whole career that he never had a crack at a top job. Nobody above where he was at wanted him. You know, Bolton. Um, he didn't. Where did he go after Bolton? I can't remember now. Um, did he? Did he come to us from Bolton? Because that was his biggest ever job. Well, the England job, would you would argue, was his biggest ever job, and oh, that fell flat that's, after that's, one game. Red wine solved that one. Yeah, you can't. You can't really. Well, you can't really look at that. 100% and... win record. <laughs> yeah, thanks to a last-minute goal from God knows who. Um, Lalana, I think it was. Was it? Against Slovenia or Slovakia, yeah. I seem to remember. Something like that, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's always had that that um, chip on his shoulder. Um, and probably has a point back in the day when he was managing every season. But recently... You know he's he's got this role as a firefighter and and he, he almost doesn't want it, but he accepts it every time. But so, the Bolton thing was twenty five years ago, and he's sixty eight now, and the game's changed. This is this is my thing. This is so. I always think with um, with man with older managers, you know, your likes of of Hodgson uh, and you, you sort of dinosaur managers as the <laughs> as they sort of labelled, perhaps unfairly or whatever. They always have this thing of like, oh, I can still do it, and and then. They they come in and they don't do it, and then because they 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 get like shocked by how how different things it things are now. So like him saying that, you know, I, I, in terms of knowledge, I'm up there with with Pep and, and Arteta and, and Klopp. Like number one, no, you're not, because they know they know and they only know modern football. They only know the football from the last fifteen years, which makes them incredible coaches. Like you look at what uh, Guardiola has done at all these teams, you know things like turning Joshua Kimmich from probably the world's best right back into the world's best defensive midfielder, and, and things like that, and then coming up with this new formation that no one can work out at Man City this season, and then Klopp's mm. almost copied him. And you think back and to to Sam Allardyce, and twenty five years ago he was the first manager to wear a Motorola headset in the uh, in the in the um, dugout and talk to somebody. 
who was sat in the stands who had a, a better tactical view of the pitch and stuff like that and and use sports science and stuff. But now everybody uses sports science. Everybody uses everything. So what do you think he means then with what he says, that in terms of knowledge, nobody is ahead of me? Because in all fairness to Big Sam, and I'm not trying to fight his corner here, he says that he's not saying he's better than Klopp, Pep or Arteta, but he's as good as they are. Those were his wor- his exact words. If he was as good as them, why, why, are you getting, why are you getting West Brom relegated two years ago? Why are you working with a club for five months if you're as good as these top managers and not saving them, not doing their remit? Because they, you know, I think no one's ever going to know if Arteta or Klopp or Pep could have saved West Brom back in 2021. But, you know, you would expect somebody who was up there to do better than he's done in his career. And I get that he's under eight and I get that he feels that. But this, I feel this comment is just stupid because I think he's going to get swallowed up by the game. And I, I think you're only as good as your last job. If you've got five months to save a team and you can't, what makes you possibly think you've got to save them in four games? It's 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 a bit of a, f- a fluke, really, if he keeps it up. That's another thing, really, isn't it? Because it's okay saying that when you're going into a job, but when you've got Manchester City in the next game and you're comparing yourself to one of the best managers we've ever seen, if they get tonged, which is not unlikely with how Leeds have been playing, it just immediately erodes all confidence that anyone might have in Big Sam and his ability to do a job, albeit over four games. And I think maybe that's why he's a bit frustrated. You heard what he said at the start of the interview. They knew where I was the whole season, but only now with four games to go, they've come knocking. And I think he feels like he's got an impossible job. I don't think that he's given off confident confident vibes. Do you know what I'm saying? 100% because the chip on his shoulder is so big that he's... He carries it into his opening press conference. First one as Leeds manager. Oh, mm. well, they've knew where I was all season, but they've given me it now with four games to go. I'm going to come in and try my best and hopefully keep them up and, and get two and, and get two and a half million pounds in the process. He goes on to say, Madness. if I keep Leeds up, we could have a team in a few years that's challenging the big boys because the club's big enough and the fan base is big enough and the history's there and all of that stuff. Yeah, just... And I get what he's trying to say there, but do you think that that chip on the shoulder, Joel, comes from the fact that People don't take Big Sam seriously. And we've had former Premier League players on this podcast who have played under Big Sam. And they've said that they've thoroughly enjoyed their time. Matt Jarvis explicitly said that Big Sam was the best manager he had. And he played some of his best football of his career under Big Sam at West Ham United. So, you know, we're kind of partially to, not to blame, I don't think that's the right word, but maybe we're kind of partially in line when it comes to the forging of this chip on the shoulder that Big Sam we're saying has because you know we're talking about him chugging pints of gravy and we're talking about him looking up at the fish and chip shop menu and we're talking about him having a doner kebab on the way home from training these are all things that I think maybe he even though he is 68 is probably acutely aware of and maybe that is a narrative that's kind of come from social media albeit probably in jest that's developed this kind of anger I guess you could say within Sam Allardyce yeah, I take a slightly different stance to Marley, which is that I feel Sam believes he's been typecasted into this role as the hero who comes and saves the day, which then has meant that he's never, ever going to be touching the top jobs because they know that the relegation sides are the ones that are going to be going for him. So it's almost like he's the villain of his own story. Catch, However, catch from, the, 22, isn't it? From, the, from the perspective that he's saying, I also understand what he's getting at, which is that He's saying he's as good as them because 
you can't really prove him wrong. And the way I say that is they've never ever been in a relegation battle. They don't know what it takes to keep a club up. I know granted they've got ridiculous finances, they're at massive clubs. And you know, even you see Lampard in his first tenure at Chelsea, we, we're seeing right now how much of a poor manager he is. However, when he was there in his first season, he actually didn't do too badly. He was okay. He kept them in the top top six, which, I mean, doesn't really show anything of his managerial capabilities. But because he's at a top club with top players, you're almost getting carried slightly by the players. And so he never really got the chance to really prove himself. And I think on the opposite side as well, if I'm a Leeds player watching that conference, I'm taking a bit of confidence from it myself, to be honest. Because let's not forget, this lead side are getting pumped 4-5-6-0 every, every single weekend. I think they need someone with a bit of arrogance to come into the dressing room and actually tell them, boys, you're actually better than you think you are. And for the next four games, let's try and show that because you're all capable. You're all capable of being in a better position in the league. And I feel as a manager, I'm capable of being in a great position. So let's try and show the fans that we actually have that confidence to do that. So yeah, I, I have sympathy for th with him in that way. But it's almost like a win-win situation for him because if he keeps them up, okay, he's going to absolutely sing to the sing to the heavens. If they go down, he had four games. What do you want him to do, really? So I understand his grievances on both sides, I have to say. Do you know what? That's a fascinating take. And I didn't think of it like that. The fact that Big Sam is typecast as this firefighter manager, as we were talking about on yesterday's show, and that he feels like because of that, he's not getting opportunities elsewhere that maybe he would have got. Really interesting when you look at the last few jobs he's had. Of course, West Brom and Leeds now, the two jobs where he's been called upon to kind of try and save the clubs from relegation. And we don't know how he's going to get on. But it's it's interesting him saying, or, or us saying, that he's not had a crack at a big job. I mean, Newcastle was the a big job. The biggest job he had was Newcastle. And we played some turgid, horrible football and got relegated. Michael Owen, Obafemi Martins and Mark Faduka up front. Alan, Alan Smith was there. Jeremy was there. He made Jeremy captain. He went to West Ham. Big club. Managed them out of the championship and into the Premier League. So it's not like he's not been... I mean, as far as big clubs go, Bolton, compared to all of those, are a small club. Sunderland, a, a big club in the northeast, 50,000 fans or 45,000 in stadium of light. So England, he got the England job, but messed it up. So I think it's really interesting, this conversation about Big Sam. And I'm fascinated to see how Saturday will go against Manchester City. Couldn't ask for a harder start if you're a Leeds United fan. We will watch with interest to see how Big Sam does. Will Big Sam ever be inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame? Not a question I thought I'd be asking on Football Social Daily, but we'll find out exactly who has joined the 2023 class of inductees next as we'll discuss it on Football Social Daily. See you after this. Welcome back. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. And around about a month ago, we were discussing some of the nominations for the 2023 Hall of Fame. And now it's been revealed that Petr Cech, Tony Adams and Rio Ferdinand have been inducted from the 15-man shortlist, which was voted for by the fans. They join Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson in the class of 2023. Now, lads, can you remember what we said all the way back on the 30th of March? when we first found out who these 15 players were, what this shortlist was, 
and who you picked to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Are you going to catch us out here and say, actually, I have a record of what you said? Um, I th- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we were close. I'm sure I said Rio, Ashley Cole, and I think it was Petacek, if I'm not wrong. Let's have a listen, shall we? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Petacek. Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, not sure. Why not? Goalkeeper in it. You never know how good. I don't know with goalies. That's exactly part of the reason why I, I think know. he should go in. It is. It's undeniably the hardest job. In the- I want to put Peter no. Cech in because yeah. the most clean sheets in Premier League history, two hundred and two clean sheets, which is some forty three clean sheets more than the next on the list, which is David James. He was one of Mourinho's most important Chelsea signings in his history. There for an, by an absolute mile. I mean, he's, he's miles a, ahead of Peter Schmeichel in terms of clean sheets. Yeah, from Ren, like and he's, yeah, miles incredible. Ahead. I think he's got to go in. It's like if we're putting Alan Shearer in for scoring the most goals, you have to put Petr Cech in for the most clean sheets. I don't want to put my Man United bias on, but I do think well, one of the United players r- is going to go in because it's voted for by fans and Manchester United have a huge what, fan base. That is base. a huge flaw to this yeah, system. Exactly. You can't let you just can't let it. It's going to be skewed, be isn't voted it? by fans. You Lewis. can stick Ali Deer in there and everybody <laughs> for, the, for a laugh Actually. would vote for Ali Deer. <laughs> and then Ali Deer would get called up from some like, village that he's living in, working as a banker or somewhere. And he'd be like, who's this? Oh, you've been inducted into the Hall of Fame because a bunch of ball bags on Twitter have, uh, have took, took the mick and put you in there. From that list of, of what is it, 15, yeah. Ash- Ashley Cole stands out for me, I think. Okay, so if we're choosing one each, I'll choose Peter Cech, you'll choose Ashley Cole. That leaves you then, Joel. So you've got a good chunk of Manchester United players to choose from there. I think it has to be either Rio Ferdinand or Vidic. Tell you what, it can't be can't. Rio Ferdinand because of the missed drugs test. Completely puts a blot on his career. Nine months that, out for missing through drugs test. That, that's a huge, any sportsman that fills a drugs test is flawed. Yeah. My umbrage is with you saying that it's got to be between Ferdinand or Vidic. Like, Vidic was an unbelievable centre-back. He's not even the best centre-back on this 15-man oh, shortlist, Joel. Now. Yeah, but you've just made a massive claim for Petr Cech. He was yeah, part who's of... the best keeper in terms he of was... clean sheets in the Premier League's Nemanja, history. Nemanja, so Vidic was one... Nemanja Vidic was part of the defence that kept the most clean sheets in a row. I think it was 12 okay. clean sheets in a row with Edwin van der Sar and John Ferdinand. Terry was John Terry and Tony Adams are better for than a longer time. They're two better defenders than Vidic. He's not as good as Adams. He's not as good as Terry. And he's not as good as Rio Ferdinand. But he's better than Campbell, is he? He's he's better than Sol Campbell, yeah. So there we go. Those were our Hall of Fame predictions from just over a month ago on the 30th of March. And I'd like to say we got it pretty close, didn't we, Marley? Yeah, and I'd I'd 100% still back what I said of, I think Ashley Cole was a better defender in historical terms. Because I think Ashley Cole was the best left back the Premier League's ever seen. Probably the country's ever seen. Um, whereas Tony Adams is not the best centre back we've ever seen. Do you know what I mean? Important and hugely He's better important. Better than Vidic, though. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was what I said. And Tony Adams being inducted, and you said Joel for your suggestion, it was between Ferdinand and between Vidic. Ferdinand's been given the nod. He almost had a 20-year Premier League career, won the lot. So you can understand why he's been put in. Yeah, it was a, it was a logical choice. I just couldn't choose. It's like choosing between two of your siblings, to be honest, because I love them both. But um, they both deserve to be in it for different reasons. But Rio Ferdinand, I mean, you know, he was at Leeds before United, was in the Champions League, was in the World Cup 2002 squad, and then got the big move to United and won absolutely everything, bar an FA Cup, which he went in net four for the Portsmouth game. That could have been the season that, uh, <laughs> that he uh, won it. But he, yeah, he's an absolute Rolls-Royce 
of a defender. You would never see his shorts dirty because he never had to make a tackle. He was never out of line in his defence. I know a lot of Chelsea fans have a huge grievance to the fact that John Terry wasn't put in place ahead of him. But I'm sorry, Rio Ferdinand, if you, I, I believe he was the better defender personally. Well, the interesting part of that conversation we had a month ago, Marley, was that you said Rio Ferdinand, because he failed a drugs test and was banned for eight, nine months from playing in the Premier League, that that puts a blot on the credentials to be inducted into this class of 2023 for the Premier League Hall of Fame. Do you still stand by that? And what do you think his inclusion says about potential future players when it comes to being inducted? Right. The, it now sets uh, sets the precedent that we don't, we don't mind, you know, um, no doubt in the Rio was an incredible footballer, an incredible defender. But I do, th- I do, I do think that gets overlooked. Like nothing really came of that. Like he got banned, and it was a big thing. But imagine if a player got banned now for doing that. I think it would pretty much ruin their career. Um, Peter Check, I said that he deserved to be in there, and obviously we knew it was a fans' vote, and Marley made that hilarious dig about Ali Dia, which well, we know that he's not, we up. know we weren't right about him anyway. <laughs> you know, Peter Check, I thought deserved to be in there on merit, but when I, as I mentioned, because it was a fan vote, I didn't think that he would get many votes being a goalkeeper, but he is in there, and I think it's well deserved for all of the reasons we discussed. Uh, absolutely well deserved. I think he's almost like the unsung hero in that Chelsea backline, especially during the early Mourinho period when they conceded what was it, sixteen goals in a season, which is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but because Terry and Cavalio are in front of him, and obviously Ashley Cole as well, um, in the next season, he almost goes in the shadows. But he was one of the main reasons why that happened. And the fact that he's, he holds the highest clean sheets in a season record as well, I believe that's 19 or 21. Um, it's just an unbelievable feat for a keeper. I think keepers are just the types of players in football that always get overshadowed, as in you're never going to see one win a Ballon d'Or unless they win absolutely everything in the season and they score a goal like, you know, Alisson did in the last minute. <laughs> It'd have to be in the Champions League final for them to get anywhere near that kind of trophy. But it's good that they do, like, for example, Czech's got this recognition because for the price that they paid and how much of an instant impact he had, I can't remember a keeper having such an instant impact on a side. He was just colossal for them. All right, well, Petr Czech has joined Tony Adams and Rio Ferdinand, as well as Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson as inductees into the Premier League Hall of Fame class of 2023. So congratulations to those guys. That is it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. We'll be back again tomorrow looking ahead to the big games taking place in the top flight over the weekend. And of course, we will be looking ahead to Leeds against Manchester City. How can we not with Big Sam back in business? And just before we do leave... Pep Guardiola, as we record this, is giving his pre-match press conference ahead of the Leeds game. And do you know what I've just heard him say? Big Sam is right. Of course he's going to say that. It's typical Pep. <laughs> typical Pep to say that. <laughs> we'll dig into it in more detail on tomorrow's edition of FSD. That's it from myself, Joel and Marley. Until then, bye for now. Football Social Daily is a voice works all production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.